I am Owen McGee, and this is Understanding Money. Thanks for tuning in. Today is all about day-to-day spending. It's about getting the foundations right. Sometimes on this podcast, I go off on a convoluted, complex journey about boring stuff like investments and pensions and everything else. And that stuff is incredibly important. I'm trying to make it interesting as well, but it's still a boring subject. Today is about the simple stuff. What I'm hoping you're going to get out of today is that you're going to walk away from this going, that's so bloody simple. But my question to you, it might be simple. My question is, are you actually doing it? Do you actually implement the stuff that I'm talking about? Because if you don't have the foundations of your finances right, if you have a whole pile of cracks in those foundations, the more money you make, the further you go on your financial journey, the more damage those cracks in those foundations are going to make. So let's just talk about the simple stuff today. When it comes down to it, you have a choice. You can control your money or it can control you. It is painful when your money controls you, but it is painful to fix it and start taking control. And I absolutely believe you can choose your pain. And if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, this is actually probably one we could have started with because this is probably the most important of them all. Because once you get the foundations right, you can then start building out from there. So what's the first thing you need to do to take control of your finances? What I would say is, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to talk to you about at the end, I'm going to talk to you, we're going to finish off today with conscious versus subconscious spending. Let's just park that for the moment because I do think it's really important. That's why I want to finish on that today so that you have the most important message at the very end. But let's talk about a few of the things you can do for yourself just in your day-to-day spending that can really help you. I am always, always rabbiting on about a buffer. So what is a buffer? A buffer is where you take three months' wages, whatever the take-home pay is in the house. So let's keep the maths really simple for me, right? Imagine your take-home pay is a thousand euros. If you've got a really steady income, you're in a steady job, your wages come in the same every single month, they're always consistent, take a thousand euros, take-home pay, multiply that by three. Now you've got three thousand euros, that is your buffer. If you're in a household where maybe you're very heavily reliant on one income and it's a bit up and down, maybe you're a plumber, an electrician, or you're a freelance media person and your wages are up and down a lot, right? Then I would say you need to have as much as six months take-home pay. Sitting in your buffer, in a bank account, ideally the buffer will sit in somewhere like the credit union, right? And the reason why I picked the credit union, it doesn't actually matter where it is, but the reason why I picked the credit union is if you've got it in a credit union, don't set up the app and don't have an ATM card for it. So that when you're dipping into the buffer, you physically have to go to the credit union to take it out. Because that makes us think a little bit more about, is this actually a buffer expenditure or not? When you've got your three months, your six months, what's the objective? What do you use your buffer for? First of all, it's a luxury to be able to get there. So having three three months sitting there doing nothing, getting little interest, is a huge financial luxury. But it's absolutely invaluable. We reach for the buffer at the times where we would have reached for the credit card if we didn't have a buffer. So what do we reach for it for? The boiler breaks down. You need new tyres in the car. You get an invite to a wedding and you just weren't expecting it. So it can be good things and it can be bad things, but it's the things that go, oh, wasn't expecting that. I would have reached for the credit card, but I'm going to reach for my buffer. You dip into it. That's fine. You have to dip into it. You cover the expense, whatever that is, good or bad, good or bad thing, you cover the expense. But the important thing is about what you do next. 
when you dip into your buffer, when your buffer drops below your three months or your six months, financial priority for you now, number one financial priority for you now, is to get the buffer back up to where it should be. Financial priority number two is to learn from what's just happened. So let's just take the example of you tires go on the car and it costs you 480 euros to replace the tires. And you look back and say, actually, the last time the car tires went in the car was 12 months ago. It was a financial surprise, or was it? Should you have been prepared? Well, you will be the next time, because what we're going to do now is we're going to put 40 euros a month aside. You can stick it in an envelope behind the back of the press. You can stick it in a one of the wallets or spaces or pockets or vaults or whatever you want to do on your banking app and stick them in there called Replace My Tires. Stick 40 quid a month into it in 12 months' time when you expect the tires to go again. It's no longer a financial surprise. You don't reach for the buffer. You reach for your vault or pocket or wallet or space. It's covered. You've just learned. That's what the buffer teaches you. What's the surprises or the things that used to be a surprise that are no longer going to be a surprise in the future? The buffer is your protection from life happening, good and bad. And it's your first line of defense when it comes to finances. I have clients who make lots and lots of money, who have lots and lots of wealth. And even for them, where you would think financial worries don't come into their head because, let's face it, they're doing all right. They find the buffer is the game changer for them in just terms of the relationship that they have with money and taking control of money. Those are two other little things that we're going to talk about. The other one is the 72-hour rule. The 72-hour rule is something that every time I post about it on Instagram, people come back time and time again. The 72-hour rule basically says, if you want to buy something, put it back. I don't care if it's online or in a shop, put it back. 72 hours later, if you still want to buy it, go on. If you can still afford it, if it makes sense and you still want to buy it 72 hours later, it's probably something you deserved in the first place. Now, one of a couple of things will happen here. First of all, you come and 96 hours later, you remember, oh, I forgot to buy that thing. You know what? It wasn't for you. Tough. You didn't remember about it. And if you really think you just made a mistake, you have to start 72 hours again. That's the rule. Okay. Other times, and more often than not, what people say to me online is, actually, 24 hours later, I found something else. I put that on the 72-hour rule and I took the original thing out of my head and I took it off the 72-hour rule. I started it. It wasn't necessarily that the other thing I found 24 hours later was cheaper. It was just better for what I was looking for. And that's a perfect example of how the 72-hour rule works. Now, there's no cheating. You can't stick the 72 hours into your phone to have a bing. You have to remember it. You have to remember it to see if it actually had any value in the first place. Other people will say, but what happens, Owen, if after 72 hours I come back and the thing is gone? That, my friend, is destiny. Tough. You're never supposed to have it. Move on with your life and find something else to buy. The 72-hour rule is a game changer. Start applying it just to little things. I'm not talking about 72-hour rule for bread and milk here, by the way. Just apply it to the things that you're buying and you're kind of going, do I really want this or not? And just see how your brain changes over the next couple of hours and days and seeing how your spending habits and patterns are going to change. The other one to be aware of is, and the 72-hour rule often goes out the window, there is a thing called hick and click. And hick and click is known to happen at nine o'clock on a Thursday. You've had a glass of wine, you go hick and click, and you buy stuff online, right? Your protection from hick and click is don't save your credit cards or debit cards to the online companies that you shop with, or any online company. I'm not a tech expert, but just don't save your credit card anywhere or debit card anywhere. At least create that barrier when you're relaxed on Thursday evening at nine o'clock that you have to get up and you have to go and find the credit card or debit card. And then you have to go back and you have to sit down and you have to punch in the digits and all the rest of it. If you do know your digits already, if you know the 23 digits, that's the 16 numbers in the front plus the date and month plus the three numbers in the back. If you know those 23 digits off the top of your head already, you are in a toxic relationship and you need to report that card lost or stolen as soon as possible. 
get out of that relationship quick. Hick and click is when our defenses are down and I don't need a 72-hour rule for this. That's your last line of defense. Don't save your credit or debit card details to any websites, particularly websites that you frequent a lot. Today's guest is an interesting one. I suspect from what I've spoken to them already, they know about hick and click. They know about the 72-hour rule. They probably have their buffer in place. That's what I'm guessing from the little bit of a conversation I had with them before they came in today. I'm hoping there's somebody out there who's listening to this and they're going, oh, is it worth it? Do I need to put the effort into getting on top of my day-to-day spending? Let's see if after this chat, you think it's worth it. I'm joined in studio by Deirdre. Deirdre, thanks very much for coming in. Um, I don't know you. We haven't met before. We had a chat the other day on the yeah. phone, but you've listened to the podcast and, and whatever else you've been, you've been in and around listening to some of this stuff from me and maybe from others as well. The reason why I was keen to have you in today was because we're talking about day-to-day finances, the foundation of your finances and how do you control your finances on a day-to-day basis. And when I chatted to you, you seem to be on top of it. You seem to be good at it. Yeah? Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. So tell me the structure you have on your day-to-day finances. How do you manage your money? Well, I get paid monthly. So when I get it in, there's ABCs also automatically come out of my account before I even get paid. So that's automatic deductions before I get paid. And then I also transfer into my monthly account for the mortgage every single month as well when it first comes in so it's gone out of my account and then separately to all of that I figured out how much I have for my fixed expenses for different things like property tax, car tax, insurance into a separate account and then I divide that by 12 so I know how much needs to go out every month and then I take that amount separately into a different account so then when those monthly or yearly uh, payments come up that they're already there it obviously takes a while for it to build up so you're ready when it comes at you and what you've just described to me there you started by saying yeah for the most part you're on top (laughs) of it it sounds to me you've a system in place and you've got it you've got it there and it's worked and it's structured and it works for you correct yeah what does that mean for you so you do you never have a financial surprise then well not really no um for the like again I've plan as much as you can I don't know other things out of it would be personal things so like birthdays and stuff they come around regularly but if there's other things that might come out of it I don't know a work event or different things that you mightn't fully plan for but there's always that additional money is there anyway so the the buffer if you want to call it is there and that's what those other and is this something, Deirdre, that has come natural to you? Is it something you've always been like? Or yeah. or have you uh, have you just learned it over the years? I've always been kind of like that, I suppose. Um, I don't know, being the oldest child probably is another symptom of it as well. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose my day-to-day job is working in IT. So you kind of have a structured approach of how you tackle and deal with things as well. And where do you think you got that from? So if it's always been there, do you think it's from when you were a child looking at your parents and how they managed money? Do you think it's the responsibility of being the eldest and looking at the rest of them? Where do you think, what, what, what instilled it in you at the start? Probably as I got older from my parents, because they wouldn't have had a great amount of money when we grew up, but we were okay. Like we weren't kind of worried about getting the dinner on the table kind of thing. But also then I suppose my mum, when we were born, myself and my sister, she then 
went unemployed essentially to look after the pair of us. So there was one parent in the house then looking after the income and looking after the finances. So if we did want to go on holidays, which wasn't abroad that often when we were kids, but it was once every two years, which was nice. But in order for them to do that, they had to plan and save up for it Mm. in order to be able to obviously be fortunate enough to go abroad. And it sounds like your mum and dad were quite open about that. That was kind of like, we're, we're, and I'm sure they didn't use the word sacrifice (laughs) to the kids, but we're kind of making a a financial decision here that mum is going to stay at home with you too and dad is going to go out and do, bring the income in and we're going to have to sacrifice on other things, i.e. we're not going to have a holiday every year, we're going to have a holiday every second year. Yeah. Um, Was that something that was communicated openly in the house? how How was money in the house when you were growing up? It wasn't communicated, I suppose, when we were children. It was more communicated as we got older and started to understand things a mm. bit more. When we were kids, it would be like if you go into the shops and stuff and you'd be wanting a toy or something like that, we'd be told, no, like put it on the Santa list or we'll get it for your birthday and things like that. So it was only when we started to get older that we realised the habits are the things that we grew up with. Um, as we got older, we kind of then started to put two and two together and kind of go oh and it's sorry how many siblings have you have, do you have? two of us two of us yeah. two of just the two of you yeah okay and you're not twins right but you're, no. you must be close in age are you year and a half so year and yeah a half. okay <laughs> so you got the two of you and and is it your sister yeah you, and are you both if we won't i know your sister's not here to defend herself but are you both good with money um <laughs> you're about to throw her under the bus are you <laughs> okay is she, is she not no no well she is good at money um in different aspects, in different ways, but we'd be both kind of similar in it. I probably, don't know, I can't speak for her, but I probably yeah. put a bit more of a structure in okay. it. Okay. But she is still good with money, like she's... Okay, so she's like, good in different ways, and, yeah. I, and I, I do appreciate she's not here to defend herself or say, no, you're wrong, right? And all sisters are going to kill each other anyway when it comes to this stuff. But I suppose what I'm really trying to get at there is, is you both grew up in the same house, right? Yeah. You're both good on different aspects. And do you have any thoughts in your head about why she's particularly better with money in certain areas than you and why you're better with maybe structure or process? Is it? It's both of our brains, I suppose. I- we even our career choices were very different. So she'd be more of the visual side of things, right? Um, and the creative mind of it, whereas I'd be more of the logic, like the rational kind of approach. So that's kind of, I guess, where the money side of it. Then, if you want to take it to that aspect, would also come from where our two different mindsets mm. are. Would have two different approaches to it so really what you're describing to me is is you both have different types of the way your brain functions yeah. is different you were both looking at the same thing you were both experiencing yeah. the same thing you were both having the same communication with your because you're similar age yeah. with your parents about money but yet you both took different things out of it yeah and what i'm thinking about now is the listener who's who's kind of going oh, deirdre has it all sorted she has it done she has all the benefits and the rewards from that but when you think about you and your sister do you think you can watch her and learn things and that she does better than you and apply them to yourself and vice versa? Do you think there's learnings from watching what other people are doing? And I suppose what I'm trying to get to here, Deirdre, is if someone's sitting at home going, uh, Deirdre's just too far ahead of me, I'm never going to be as good as that. Can people learn from what you're doing? Yeah, like in a way she can be more spontaneous that like if something random will come up, she may do it. Whereas with me, say... I went away on a a trip last year, for example, to Mongolia and it came up somewhat spontaneous, but then I had to look at every aspect of it and like logically go, 
right, does this make sense and stuff like that. The experience obviously is great, but I also was going, right, can I fit this in? Where she may just literally this weekend just go, oh, I'm going somewhere or things like that. And did, did going to Mongolia freak you out when you had, a, like, were you, were you panicked about it? Were you like, oh God, no. you were okay. Yeah. And you still did it, but you just analysed before you did it. Yeah. Whereas she just would just do it and yeah. analyse it afterwards. Exactly. Okay. And do you think you can learn a little bit from her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I would say is, and I'm not suggesting this is for you, but just in general, when you do get total control over your money, which it seems on a day-to-day basis, I know not about your long-term finances, but on a day-to-day basis, it seems like you've got a good handle on it. If you've got a good structure that works in a system that works for you. But when you get to that stage, you have to reap the rewards. And I'm not saying you're not, but you yeah. do have to reap the rewards that, that you do blow out from time to time. You do do, and you like, Life is not about accumulating a big pot of gold. It's about using your money to support the life you want to have. So when you think about somebody who's listening to this at the moment, did you, and they're trying to get to where you are, did you then go off and do any type of other learning? Like some of the wording you're using may be mine, it may be not, right? Maybe you picked it up along the way, but is there any particular sources of information? Say me, first of all, right? But is there any particular <laughs> sources of information where you kind of said, you know what, I really got a lot out of that? Or did you ever read any books? Or did you want to watch, was there anything that you kind of said, yeah, that really worked for me? I suppose during COVID or when we were locked down, there was a lot more emphasis I, from what I could gather even online that like this industry or this area is kind of being more in people's day-to-day lives mm. as as we're talking about it more openly. Whereas before all of this, it was like, right, you got your salary and people did whatever it was magically with it. Mm. And then you either were struggling and waiting for the next payday. So you haven't beans on toast for the week kind of thing. Or else you just went and you were fine with it. But I think lately I've noticed that it's a bit more open that people can seem to discuss kind of how things are getting on and it's where really it's interesting going. you say that because one of the things I do like I do a lot of corporate speaking and you'd be speaking to a room with 50 people or 500 people or mm. whatever it is and you'd be in some companies and you'd be talking to them and one of the call outs I'll always put out at the end or mo- most days when, I, when I, the topic is going along is I think in this country we've got really good in the last 10 or 15 years about talking about mental health mm. and it's okay not to be okay and that's exactly where we should be and we can talk to our friends or to certain people in our lives that we can go to if we're not feeling right but I don't think we've broken the taboo on talking about money No, and I think that's something that I've been trying my hardest to kind of break each time I'm standing in front of two or three or 400 people and I'm talking to them, I'm asking them, please just go and talk to somebody about money this week that you've never spoken to before about money. Mm. And let's break the taboo. And that's exactly what you're describing to me there. You actually found that during lockdown, it's starting to get easier and it's a bit more in our face. And hopefully that's as a society, as opposed to just that you happen to be on Instagram (laughs) during lockdown and it changed it. No, but even general conversations, I've noticed that people are kind of getting a bit more open and discussing about it. Again, it seems to be a bit more of a generational thing back, like in my parents' day, you just didn't talk about it like that. You just kind of got on with it. Mm. Whereas now it seems to be a bit more kind of like that, even how much, I don't know, was the mortgage or different Mm. things like that. People are kind of discussing more freely about it. Maybe is it things are more online as well, easy, accessible. I'm just picking the mortgage because it's the easiest one. But like you can look online for that information. But it is great to hear that you're finding in general people are talking about money a bit more openly. And it does make us like if COVID taught us anything is is it's easier to tackle these things together. And what we do know about statistically is every three to five years, we're going to have some type of recession type event. 
And the next one we go into, it's not if another one's going to happen, it's when is another one going to happen. And the next one we go into, if we're talking to each other about money, it'll be easier to get through it. Yeah, I think so. What's your biggest fear when it comes to money? Do you ever have fears now? No. <laughs> and, and not the beauty of it. Because you are on top of it and you do, it does sound to me like you control your finances, they don't control you. And you've put the work into getting the structure in place and that leaves you in the in the position where you need to go to, where was it, Mongolia? Yeah. You need to go to Mongolia, you can go. With a little bit of analysis, you can go. Yeah. Is there anything that, if you were to give one tip to somebody, just as a kind of closing remark, if you were to give, if someone's listening to you at home and they're kind of going, was there one game changer for you that made it all very different and made it easier for you? The main thing was getting a spreadsheet and literally starting from the start of whatever your salary is minus whatever your if you're paid monthly or fortnightly whatever your deductions are and just literally seeing on paper what you have left and then you can decide what you want to do on it if there's additional money left over then is it a case of you save some or is it you want to go and buy a nice pair of shoes or a bag or whatever it is you want to do with the what's left over or if it's on the other end of the scale that you're realising that you're minus when you're reducing whatever your your fixed is mm-hmm. out of it, then where is it you can cut down? So is it so subscription services yeah. and stuff? So just seeing it in paper in front of you and then seeing what you can do from it. I think that's a really great tip and you're in IT and you can do it in Excel. People shouldn't be thinking or they can only do the paper. piece of paper. Yeah. Pen and piece of paper is really, really yeah. strikingly powerful because when we write stuff down, I'm not a psychologist, but when we write stuff down physically with pen and paper, it just goes in a little bit deeper yeah. and it has more of an impact. But what you're describing there is excellent. If you're on the top end and you've, you're doing okay and you can you have enough money to last at the end of the month, great then see what extra you have to do, what other things you want to do. Mm. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're a bit short, at least you know in advance that you're short and you can make decisions now about where you're going to cut back in order to fulfill that shortfall and make sure that you get to the end of the month this month. Deirdre, it was absolutely a pleasure to have you in. Thank you very much. And what I will say is I know this takes time out of your day, but you said something interesting before we went on, (laughs) before we turned the mic on. Why did you come in today? Um, Just to hopefully help one person from this conversation that we've had. So whether it's a small thing that they've got from it, literally just one thing that tweaks their brain or their mind to go, oh, that makes sense to me. Um, Hopefully that's something. It's interesting, Deirdre, because what you're telling me is is you did this not for you, but for somebody else, just one person. And what we'll do is is I will ask if you did get something from the conversation, (laughs) I've no doubt you did, stick it in the comments on Instagram so that Deirdre can see that you helped. Deirdre, thank you for your time. Thank you. Amanda, you're back with us. Thanks very much for joining us again. We have a whole pile of questions. I think we have three questions to get through today. Do we? we have three questions again today, yep. Okay, why don't we just jump in for the first one? So I am currently saving up for the deposit to purchase my first home. I'm on, I suppose, a current base salary that I'm really happy with. It will cover all my expenses for the month and then will also allow me to put the same proportion of money away each month and, of course, to go towards that deposit. In my current role, I can receive company bonuses, um, but it is totally performance related and can fluctuate depending on kind of that period of time. So I'm a little bit lost when it comes to knowing how much of the bonus to save. Do I save the entire thing? Do I save a certain proportion? Is there a rule of thumb? So any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. What's the crux of the question there, Amanda, do you think? So it's really to do with how best to 
budget when you part of your salary is based on a company bonus? So the first thing I'll say about this person is they seem to be really on top of their mm, day-to-day yeah. kind of, this is my regular income, this is my regular pattern, yeah, this is yeah. what I do, that's great. When it comes to bonuses, it needs to be treated completely differently, right? A bonus is a bonus. It's mm-hmm. an extra. It's something that you should never expect and more importantly, you should never rely on. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that when the bonus comes in, you should not have to use it to put bread and milk on the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. It should be for bigger stuff, for medium, long term stuff, short term, medium and long term stuff and get it put away and never get used to it. People can often get caught up with this with bonuses, but they can also get caught up with it with where you're getting shares and work. Yeah. And then they vest after three years. Oh, yeah, I always pay for my holiday after three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I pay for my big, my holiday every year comes from the shares that I got bought three years ago. And now I have them here today and I use them and it forms part of life. Then the share price gets hit and it's gone or the bonus doesn't come in and it's gone and you've no yeah. bread and milk on the table. So what this person needs to do is, is I would say with a bonus, it's a little bit like some, sometimes the advice you give to a kid when they get their communion money or their confirmation money or they get a lump of cash because their uncle likes them or something, yeah. right? You need to give yourself a little bit of pleasure. Well done. The company has yeah. performed or you've performed and you've got this bonus. And it's different for everyone depending on what stage of life you're at. And as soon as I start coming out with percentages, people start being, oh, that's exactly how you do it. No, it's different for everyone before I give the percentages. But just imagine you say a third of it, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to spend yeah. a bit on it, whatever I want. A third of them putting away for medium term and a per- third of them putting away for long term. And they are not the percentages. I'm just saying that you divide it up into different pots and you say, right, mm. this is what I'm going to do with my bonus because the last thing I'm going to do with my bonus or vested shares is to get used to having it in my wages and yeah. become reliant on it. Yeah. Have I missed anything there? That makes sense. No, no, no. I think this lady seemed to have her day-to-day covered, yes. which is a great position to be in. So it's about enjoying life, but also saving Longer saving term. some for yeah. the future too. Exactly. Let's go for question two. Hey Owen, just hoping you can give us some advice on managing day to day and month to month. And we always start off with great intentions and send money to the credit union for saving, allocate money for the mortgage, childcare, groceries, etc. But we always seem to underestimate what we might need and then we need to dip into our savings. So yeah, just looking for some tips on how to manage that better so that we don't need to dip into our savings as much as we are. Thanks. Have you ever done that, Amanda? Where you save and then you end up dipping into it? Absolutely. <laughs> this month. <laughs> this month. <laughs> Same as last month, Amanda. Yeah, yeah. Same as next month, Amanda. Yeah. Um, that's the point. And I'm not perfect either, right? But the point here is, is that what you need to do, we did this with someone on the TV show a couple of years, it was repeated a couple of weeks ago. Their episode was repeated a couple of weeks ago. They were trying to do that and they were really trying to get mm. on top of their day to day, but they kept getting these surprises. There's no yeah. such thing as a financial surprise, mm. right? Because, or that's not fair. There is a financial surprise, but it should only surprise you once. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you go on holidays every July, next July, when you go on holidays, that's not a financial surprise. You've been going on holidays every July for the last 15 years. You're probably going to go next July as well. You're going to try to go anyway. Right. So what I would say is it's, it's about learning from the past. And yeah. what this person needs to do is, is at the start of each month, they need to give every single euro a job. Yeah. And they need to say, OK, where am I putting my money? I have this to cover, I have this to cover, I have this to cover. And what mistake people often make when they're giving every euro job, it's what I call spending rules, when they're creating their spending rules is they do it, they sit down at the start of the month and then it doesn't work or something changes or they get a financial surprise, for want of a better word. And then on the first of next month, they get paid again, they do it again without looking backwards. Mm. Right. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that you're taking the lessons of this month into next month so that when you're creating your spending rules next month, that you're better prepared. 
And the reality is, is there will be times where you may have to dip into savings, where you may have to do it. That's a buffer. That's where we're going to cover yeah. that off. Um, mm-hmm. A buffer is really going to cover it. And I know we've talked about buffer already today. So what I would say is, is that buffer is really going to help this person. But learning from the trends of how their finances go on a month-to-month basis and applying the things that they've learned from the past into the future when they're creating the spending rules is the absolute key for this person. So would you say suggest even come to the end of this month now, reevaluating and then maybe saving a more realistic amount? Yeah, it might be about saving a bit more realistic amount. You, you see, really what should happen, it depends on what phase in life you're at. Sometimes savings is the absolute priority and mm-hmm. everything else has to be sacrificed, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But other times it's a case of, okay, I'm going to cover everything else off and then whatever I have left over, I'm going to save that at the start of the month, not at the end of the month. I'm going to save that at mm-hmm. the start of the month. And we're going to do a, a whole episode on saving. Um, yeah. So what I would say is, is that getting to grips with what's important to you at this time of your life, if you're saving for a particular goal, well, then it's going to mean sacrificing other parts of your life. If you're okay with your savings and you've started to build up some savings, well, then it's about making sure you've got everything covered and then seeing at the start of the month how much you're putting into savings this month. But the thing about it is, is trying to get a, a guess, a best guess on what your month is going to look like financially yeah, yeah, yeah. between now and the next payday is the key to it. And you need to regularly do it throughout the month as well. How much money have I got left in my bank account? When am I next getting paid? And what's the important stuff I have to pay for between now and then? And do I have enough to cover it? Yeah. And if you do that two weeks out, you'll be able to say, okay, I actually don't have enough there and I'm going to have to borrow from Peter to pay Paul. So I, I'm going to have to pay less on the groceries um, in order to go out for that meal. Or I'm going to have to mm. not go out for that meal so I can pay more for the groceries. And I know they're very, very kind of, Maybe people going, oh, I have to go out for my meal or I have to get, I have to pay for groceries. Yeah. They're, they're very relative to people's importance. But my point here is, is that the more regular you're looking at this, the more the control you you're taking over yeah. it and the less surprises you're going to have. Mm-hmm. We go for question three. Hi, my question's in relation to uh, the day-to-day finances. I went traveling for about six months and now we're home and we're trying to save for a mortgage. I'm trying to save about 50% of my wages towards the mortgage, but I'm just really struggling trying to manage other expenses. Um, I recently changed my pension to my employer contributing as well as myself and reduced my actual contribution to try and help with this deficit, but I'm just still really struggling, really waiting for pay each week and trying to get loads from um, my partner which is just not helping I'm just really not sure what else I could do thank you she's kind of struggling there isn't she yeah like what kind of stands out is she's saving 50% there's a lot of sacrifices that come when you're saving for a house the biggest expense you're ever going to really Mm. have but yeah it's not a great situation to be in when day to day you don't have enough to keep you going this is where the 35% rule comes in. So the mm-hmm. 35% rule, and this is something we have talked about quite a bit, the 35% rule basically says that you can afford to spend 35% of your take-home pay on your financial commitments. So take-home pay, just to put those that in maths, imagine your take-home pay in the month is €1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. 35% of that is 350 quid. Mm-hmm. So you can afford to use 350 quid in that circumstance to pay for financial commitments. So that would be your car loan and your mortgage put together or any loans that you have and your and your mortgage all put together, or it could be your rent and your car loan and your personal loan all put together. Once it goes over 35%, it's not sustainable. Now, you can do it for a short time. So 50% because you have a short-term goal that you're trying to achieve. Grand, you'll do it. But if you try and do that over a long period of time, you will blow up. And yeah. actually, the lower your salary is, the harder it is to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there are people in Dublin and Limerick and Cork and Galway, right, who are paying 55 60% on rent. Yeah. And they've no choice. And this is where they're at. And that's just what they're being forced into. And 
again, they might over the short term sustain that. But over the long term, what happens is they start hitting credit cards. Like she's talking about hitting her partner up for a loan yeah. from time to time, mm-hmm. right? She's lucky she can hit her partner for a loan. Other people would just reach for a credit card. That's all they could mm-hmm. do. And that's the way they have to put bread and milk on the table. That is not sustainable. And it is sustainable potentially over a short period of time. But if she's actually trying to save for a deposit for a house, it's going, like, unless she's in an amazing position, she's got a huge salary, she's going to find that she's going to fall off the wagon so many times Mm. that it's just going to feel like she's getting nowhere. And ultimately what happens there is is someone gets so fed up with the savings, then they go off in a splurge and they spend it all in one go. She needs to make it much more realistic and much more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And she needs to reduce how much she's saving on a month-to-month basis. Because if she doesn't, I don't believe she might get there, but it's just going to be a much harder journey than what what she could experience if she didn't um, adjust it now. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I suppose then you don't really see any issue with her day to day. It's more so you think that it's just no, because it's, I think it's too I think big. She's just saving too much of her yeah, money. Yeah, like she's, yeah. she's 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 she set herself out, and you know what? Just come back from traveling. Now I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to be really good, and I'm going to save fifty percent of my wages. You have to live your life. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's a really important thing that you are able to sustain this over a long period of time because like even it could even do more damage to her if she's trying to do it and she's not achieving it. Mm. I'm not saying definitely right, but the bank is looking at it and going, this person thinks they can do more than they can actually do. And it's just, you can see it very evidently in their bank statements. So just be careful about the pattern you're creating on your bank statements when the ultimate objective here is to be able to get a mortgage and to buy a house. Yeah, Amanda, thanks for coming in today. I know we were talking about some of your pains before you came in. So yeah. what I would say is, is make Amanda's life easier. You will have much more opportunity of your question being asked if you send it as a voice note. Absolutely. That WhatsApp, it can be used for suggestions for guests, suggestions yeah, for topics, yeah. things you want to talk about, things you want to hear about. Or if you say, I'd love to go on that show and tell us my, tell my story. It's interesting, Amanda, when, when I talk to people like in the TV show or any of the guests we've had in here already who aren't professionals, but I would call real people, right? Mm. The real people we've had in the show. When you ask them, most of the people who you have in the show, you say to them, why did you come on? Whether it was the TV show or this, why did mm. you come on? And they say, I just think my story will help someone else. Yeah. And that that's the driver. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you do this. And that's why I do this. And yeah, that's why yeah. the team here is doing this. It's to try and help others. And if you want to be a guest on the show, don't worry about what the topic is. If you just think it's something interesting, and more importantly, if you think your story can help somebody else, I want to talk to you here. And um, get in touch with yeah. Amanda. We are listening because we even just started a little meeting before here. I was talking about different ideas that were coming in and we're going to be doing podcast ideas on it. So always send your ideas through. Yeah. What's the WhatsApp number, Amanda? So it's 087-291-0507. That's 087-291-0507. Thanks, Amanda. See you next week. Thank you. So we have gone on a whistle-stop tour of the foundations of your finances. The key message is you can control your money or it can control you. You choose. You decide. One of the most important tools you have here is recognising the difference between conscious spending and subconscious spending. What does that mean? What I mean by that is, is, do you ever walk into a shop for a bottle of Diet Coke and you walk out with a Diet Coke and a packet of crisps? You consciously went in to get the Diet Coke, you walked out with the packet of crisps because somewhere in your mind, a marketing department got in there and when you saw that packet of tato or whatever it was, you in your brain said, I like that. You picked it up without even thinking about it and you walked out with it. That's subconscious spending. And if you don't believe that subconscious spending exists, let's remind ourselves of March 2020. In March 2020, we had 
443 million euros a month is what we saved as a country. All the households combined of Ireland were saving on average 443 million euros a month. In April 2020, the first full month of lockdown, we saved 3,000 million. 3 billion euro. What's that, seven, eight times 443 million euro? The reason? Maybe it's because we didn't have a commute or some of us didn't have a commute. Maybe it's because we had other expenses and we were all just in the house and we had nothing there. But I think a huge part of it was all the little things added up. We had no subconscious spending. If we went to the shop, we went to the supermarket, we queued up outside, we had a list, we got in and we got out because we didn't want to catch the COVID. And what happened? We just stuck to the list so we could get out as quick as we could. We didn't let any of that subconscious spending coming in. We didn't walk by our barista that we love and buy a coffee we didn't necessarily need, we just bought because we were walking by. We didn't walk into a shop and pick up stuff randomly and buy it just because it was there or it looked like it was on good value or I might use it next Saturday night. We stripped out all of our subconscious spending and we saved seven, eight times more than what we usually save. Ask yourself this question or give yourself this challenge, sorry is what I say. Give yourself this challenge. Every time you spend in the next week, do not change your spending habits in any way, but every time you spend in the next week, take out your phone and write down Diet Coke, 240 or whatever it is now packet of crisps 150 or pair of jeans 100 euro whatever you spend every time you spend money just take out your phone don't change your habits take out your phone and write it down in the notes and at the end of the week this time next week set a reminder on your phone to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and put a line down the middle and put conscious spending and subconscious spending and go through your list and put it one on each side. Now, sometimes people actually helps them to, to, to categorize them. Conscious spending, subconscious spending, or added value to my life didn't add value to my life. And what I want you to do is I want you to go down through each of the items and put them on one side or the other. At the end of that, what do you have? You have a list of stuff and the cost of all of it, of stuff that you spent money on last week that added no value to your life. Take that and apply it to something else. Maybe you'll start reducing debt with it. Maybe you'll pay off a credit card bill. Or maybe you'll save it. And actually, we'll come back in a few weeks and we'll talk about saving. But this is you taking control of your money without stripping the value that you place on in life. There's a whole pile of stuff in our lives that we spend money on that adds no value and we just do it out of habit or subconsciousness. Take control of it. Start managing your money and start getting more bang for your buck that the money you do spend is going directly to adding value to your life. As I said at the top of this episode, this is about you taking control, it not controlling you. Do little things. Do them repeatedly and do them well, but do them consciously. Take that control back and start to get ahead with your finances. Because when you've mastered this bit, you'll be able to move on to the bigger stuff. One of the things I was thinking about when we were making this episode today was, depending on when you were listening to this, we're actually quite close to Christmas. Didn't want to put a whole pile of Christmas stuff in this episode, because then if you're listening to it next March, you're going, why is he talking about Christmas? But what we have decided to do as a team is to put out a bonus Christmas episode. And what I mean by that is it's not a post that it's going to go out on Christmas Day and you can sit there and listen to me. It's going to go out on Friday. So if you're listening, this drops on Wednesday. It's going to go out in two days' time. If you're catching up with this late, it's probably out already. But it's specifically around getting on top of your day-to-day finances in relation to Christmas. What can you learn from Christmas? 
So if you haven't seen it, go find it. It'll be a shorter one and it'll give you the tips and tricks that you need to get around getting Christmas, getting financially ready for Christmas. Thanks again for listening. This has been Understanding Money. I am Owen McGee. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you following even more.